Welcome to the Free Speech Union podcast. I'm Dan Giroux. Today we have a special report. The Fourth Estate has been vital in preserving democracy. So starts Free Speech Union spokesperson Jonathan Ayling's piece for the platform this week. But trust in the media is down, according to AUT's Journalism, Media and Democracy Center, to 45%. An example as to why could be found in the behavior of NZME's board this week at their annual AGM, when they refused to answer shareholder questions to some questionable decisions around free speech. So, Jonathan, uh, great to be talking with you today. Always good to chat, Dane. Let's start with what prompted a free speech discussion in the first place, I think, before we get to what transpired at the meeting, just so people you know, really have the context to all of it. Well, we started working on this issue uh, quite some time back, uh, middle of last year almost, when the Speak Up for Women ad, which had the very provocative statement, woman, adult, human, female on it, uh, was banned by student outlets owned by NZME. And of course, uh, this was a paid piece of advertising that was putting forward a a political message. It was lobbying against the Birth, Deaths and Marriages Amendment Bill. And uh, and they chose not to run it because of uh, supposed harm that it would cause in the community. Now, we uh, reached out to NZME and we asked for an opportunity to sit down with their uh, chief executive and their editor and their chief legal counsel. And here's what we expected for them to say. We, we expected them to say, look, we, we're the largest publisher in New Zealand. Of course, we stand by free speech. But this is advertising. We've got some commercial interests who are upset about it. So it's a, it's a question about money for us. And uh, we chose to pull it, not to put a cat amongst the pigeons. And and while that's not a very principled stance, look, we can actually understand where they're coming from on that. And so we were really shocked when when I sat down with a number of other members from the Council of the Free Speech Union, and we sat down with Michael Boggs, the uh, chief executive of NZME, their chief legal counsel, the editor of the NZ Herald, and they said, look, we actually found this very offensive. Uh, we thought it would cause harm to our staff. It would not be safe for, to make our staff work on an issue like this. And so that is why in certain, some of our outlets, we chose not to run this ad. It was a remarkable uh, decision for them to make. And so we sent letters uh, to the board at that point, just going, hang on a second, guys. Do you appreciate the precedent that has been set here, that that any issue now that is controversial, any issue where one of your staff may be feeling comfortable working on it, that all of a sudden a massive story can be made out of it and, and you may pull advertising over that. Well, one thing led to another, and it's all ended up at the AGM, but, but certainly we didn't have the response we thought we would there. So uh, do we know of any other uh, ad- adverts that have um, been rejected in, in a similar way? Absolutely. So as we began to work on this, more and more adverts kept on coming out of the woodwork uh, as as we realized that 
while we're not going to characterize this as a common occurrence, it's certainly not uncommon either for NZME to decide that they will not run certain ads. We we have examples from the uh, Sensible Sentencing Trust, from Social Credit, from New Zealand First. Uh, there were other issues around reporting on major social issues. Um, you know, prominent shareholders of NZME ended up raising concerns about coverage on issues like he poor poor and major questions of social significance that we need to be allowed to have the debate on. But it just seems that the uh, editorializing of advertising material at NZME doesn't want to have to deal with these issues. Now, we're talking about advertisements and, and, and groups, um, you know, wanting to put political messages in the paper and pay for it. I mean, if harm is an issue, wouldn't that sort of apply to news stories also, uh, coverage, journalism? Here in New Zealand, there are six features of the censorship regime that govern content that is allowed. And and the different frameworks that are in part for news is different to the framework that's in, in place for advertising. So the Advertising Standards Authority is what governs uh, the, those commercial interests when people are paying to put a, uh, an advert in a newspaper or whatever it is. Um, the, the Media Council is more what governs the, the content of um, edited news reporting. But certainly your point is right there, Dane, that uh, if people can't pay to have their message put out, well, the, the the same uh, outlet is probably not going to be interested in reporting on it in the same way if that message is causing harm. But this constantly brings us back to this really subjective, nebulous concept where when we're trying to limit speech because of quote-unquote harm, what do we mean by that? And And should we actually be stopping speech because it caused harm? Because sometimes uh, we need to um, harm people with our words because actually their ideas are incorrect. And and so this is where debate is actually important. And we may hurt their ideas. We may hurt their beliefs. But actually that is necessary in order for us to develop knowledge and, and truth. So I, I don't know where we get off this train. I, I'm very uh, cynical about the use of the term harm because it's just another veto word, isn't it? I feel harm when, uh, well, I could argue I feel harmed when I see anti-Semitic um, expressions um, manifesting in, in, in some, some of the anti-Israel uh, you, you know, articles or whatever in the Herald. I wouldn't dream to, uh, that, that I could get, get them vetoed. You know, my position would be, and I've done this, you know, sometimes I actually do get, you know, reply pieces in papers to counter what I've read. Oftentimes they say, no, I'm sorry, we're happy with this. Uh, We disagree with you. We know better. Um, Suck it up. (laughs) It is another form of of that heckless veto. But kind of what you're saying there is that, you know, if anyone claims this, well, all of a sudden we either have to pick and choose whose harm we're going to respect or otherwise it just, you know, anyone can can claim it, which is true. But but I also don't want to um, undo the fact that the presentation of some perspectives and opinions will be harmful to individuals. But but that in and of itself should not stop the presentation of those views. You know, here at Free Speech Union, we don't take stands on the substantive issues. And so 
I can understand from the uh, perspective of the transgender community that what Speak Up for Women was claiming is harmful to their identity. Um, but equally, what the transgender community is claiming is harmful to the identity of traditional feminists. So I have sympathy for both of them, but the answer to neither of them is to simply shut down the speech. And and even more broadly than that, the answer is certainly not having major publishers like NZME put their fingers on the scale of one side or the other to say we will not run perspectives of a certain kind, even in paid advertising, because we don't want to and we're back to this again, quote unquote, harm our staff. So so this is where I think we just make it a lot more complicated than it needs to be when we step away from an impartial commitment to free speech. It's like what Nadine Strossen, the former president of the ACLU, um, has said many times that um, the problem with hate speech laws and, and censorship generally is that it, it tends to follow fashion. Because you're right, you could you could as easily acknowledge harm on the other side, but they choose not to because that's not the fashionable position to take. Um, so so this this is a big issue with any censorship. You know, it, it. I mean, people probably won't like to hear this, but most of it comes down to trends and fashion. You know, it's it's not um, objective and can't be objective. So progressing forward, then. Uh, so what happened next? Well, we cooperated with a, a number of supporters of the Free Speech Union who uh, collectively were significant shareholders of NZME. Now, NZME is a company that the vast majority of shares are owned by major international institutional shareholders. So you're talking about your major banks and and, and conglomerates that own the vast majority of it. But there is about 15% of shares that are owned by what we call retail investors, you know, um, everyday Kiwis who have, you know, some savings in, in, in ZME shares. And we contacted our supporter base and said, look, if you own NZME shares, let us know. We would like to develop a case for putting some pressure on them. And we wanted to see what sort of leverage we would have there. And once we added it up, it's, it's difficult to get an exact figure, but we had about 10% of NZME shares represented, which, um, given the fact only 15% is owned by retail investors, is very significant. Very significant. We ended up getting an agenda item put on the uh, the uh, uh, the notice of meeting for the AGM, which uh, was on Monday. And, you know, we, we were expecting the fact that we had uh, got a significant number of shareholders to say, actually, we need to have a conversation about the board's stance on this issue, the board's conduct, what they're allowing to happen at NZME, and and what's going to happen going forward. You know, the, the basic premise of our claim was that if you start swaying in the wind of public opinion on major issues like this, you're giving a big stick whoever wants to beat you over the head on the next issue that you don't agree with on that one. And so without it, I'll say it again, without a principled commitment to free speech, actually you're creating a massive headache for yourself where one side or the other will come at you and uh, you'll need to explain why you are running that material. And, and also it does, it then also means that every piece of material that is run as an advert and then ends in me outlet is implicitly endorsed by that, organization where obviously that's not the case we, we we read advertising and we go well it doesn't mean the publisher thinks this they're just getting paid to run it whereas uh, that's if- a really interesting point uh jonathan so so now 
we we can sort of assume that if any sort of lobbyist type material turns up, that they endorse it. Well, it's impl- it's implicitly accepted at the very least because because if they didn't, the precedent is now to not allow it. So it's 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 a really uh, troubling precedent again for the, for them to have set themselves. And uh, and yet the the most concerning element of it was the way the board responded to this. You know, so we had shareholders there. We had a number of of speakers who wanted to raise questions and concerns with the board. And let's let's be real. This is the basic function of an AGM. It is for the governance of an organization to report on the operations along with the chief executive and to dialogue with the shareholders, the those who own portions of that business. And what we saw on Monday was a board that was entirely defiant, that had no interest whatsoever in, in dialogue or in hearing the opinions or concerns of shareholders. And what it meant was that they ended up uh, presenting a, a pre-prepared script that kind of run off a few trite messages about uh, standing up for free speech and about being impartial and and not uh, allowing bias to interfere. And then they refused to address any of the questions raised. And some really obvious questions would have been things like, well, we've heard of these examples of adverts that have been blocked. Can you tell us how many have been blocked over the past year? Or what exactly is the criteria in place for blocking, for refusing to carry an advert? You know, these, these are all really simple questions that, that make sense in terms of the fact that by denying an advert, NZME is denying revenue for the company. So it comes at a cost to the shareholder. And yet Barbara Chapman, as, as the chairperson of the board, refused to take any of these questions. And really, very quickly, the meeting was over and there was nothing to be done. And this confirmed the fears that we had that going into an online forum like this, they would control it. They would not open up for discussion. And unfortunately for them, strategically, it confirms the fears that any free speech supporters had that are shareholders of NZME that, that actually the board is not willing to take a principled stance on this issue. Let me get this straight, because this is very concerning if you're a shareholder. So shareholders came to this virtual meeting with questions that they wanted to ask. The They, they were not allowed to ask questions. And then the, the chair, was it? The, the chairperson, Barbara Chapman, yep. Yeah, the, so the chairperson uh, had, a, had a speech and just said, there is no issue. And no questions were allowed, and there is no issue. Let's when there clearly is an issue, um, and and that was the end of it. Exactly. Yep. And and you you got to wonder um, how any shareholder feels respected or appropriately treated in this environment, where um, you know the, the people that they are entrusting with running this organization disregard their concerns or their. Uh, expression of a desire for a dialogue on this out, outright. It, it, it was just so so completely blatant that they just were not going to allow the conversation. Well, they essentially lied, didn't they, and said that there really isn't a problem. We're committed to free speech. There's no big issue here. Let's move on. Um, and when, we're not going to listen to any question that you have to ask on on the matter. Light is a big word, and 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 while while uh, others may use that, I think you know the the the, board, the chairperson Barbara Chapman was either misled or she was misleading, 
in the comments that she made. And, and I'll let uh, our listeners decide which it was. But she either was not presented with the correct information that, in fact, there were questions and there were people online wanting to have that discussion, or she was misleading and claiming that uh, the, there weren't any questions that were relevant uh, after the comment that she had made. But uh, one way or the other, that conversation was shut down. And, and uh, from my perspective, I just can't imagine as a board member uh, being part of a response like that because strategically you think about it every person who had a concern there now uh is going to feel completely duped and, and completely brushed aside and i think a lot of people who didn't have concerns beforehand are probably scratching their head going well why weren't we allowed to talk about it then you know this is what shutting conversations down it, it puts a spotlight on the issue and goes well if it's not an issue why can't we talk about it Maybe, maybe it is an issue. Do they have recourse? Um, you know, just in terms of, of business. Look, the, the the board can operate with relative autonomy, and so I I don't know if uh, there are steps being taken to try and continue to push on this issue. Uh, certainly, I know of some people who have requested to meet with uh, the the chairperson or with the board to discuss these issues. I, I doubt whether that, that'll get a lot of progress, given the blatant defiance that the board has already shown on this issue. Uh, but hopefully what it does show is, even if they are trying to brush it under the rug, it shows that people are watching. It shows that people are invested and concerned about this issue, and, and as they should be, because the uh, implications of impartial, of partiality and, and of, of censorship are, are broad-reaching. It affects all of us. And so um, I think people are concerned about this now, and the board is at least aware of that. And so hopefully going forward, uh, if we can just keep reminding them that people are watching, that will make a difference in the way that they go about uh, assessing advertising material. So circling all the way back to um, trust in the media um, falling, do you think this is – uh, the kind of behavior that's really contributing to this sort of uh, feeling. Ab- absolutely. And it's this arrogance that um, individuals in admittedly very influential positions in the media have where they think they can operate without due regard for the concerns that those who are consuming the media have. And, you know, the, the, the study that I referenced in the in the piece that we run in on the platform shows that 45% of New Zealanders have trust for the media, which, which means a majority don't. And I just don't think you, you have to be particularly long sighted to see that there's a problem coming down the pike for us. If we, can't agree on what the basic rules are, if we can't agree on what the basic information that we're all consuming is, you know, and and we we see this expressing itself in so many ways now. COVID is the obvious example to jump to, but there's so many different uh, issues as a country and, and even more broadly that we're facing right now where we can't agree on what the basic rules are. We can't agree on what the basic information that we're discussing is. And the, the mainstream media, the fourth estate, has been the the rule keeper and 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 the one who has kind of set the context in the past by providing us all with the same information. Whereas now, if if one side feels like the information is being uh, only provided from a particular perspective or or given to the other side, 
uh, well, of course, that then dis- ma- makes them makes them suspicious and makes them feel like uh, people are undermining them and, and that there's an agenda against them. And I'm not saying all of this is true. I'm just saying we can see why people begin to feel this way. And so uh, I think, you know, without without a strong fourth estate that actually has principled convictions, before long, democracies find themselves in trouble. And ultimately, uh, democracy and, and our, our civil liberties and our human rights are all founded on free speech. Free speech is the bedrock from which these liberties spring. But not too far up off that really foundational piece is a fourth estate that provides equal treatment to these um, to these disparate perspectives and and tries to chart a path forward. And so I'm concerned by the numbers that of of suspicion and and, and distrust in the media. I'm concerned by the uh, the actions that are so obviously related to this suspicion. In the long run without uh, our ability to uh, you know a- accept a-, a common narrative i think we're going to find ourselves more and more polarized and and that's really problematic also quite interesting here is that you know the, the the media clearly think that they are more influential than they probably are in terms of you know they clearly think that if they d- deny a certain um advertorial like say let's take the speak up for women one um, that's really going to wound Speak Up for Women. But of course, it, it sort of says to their supporters that, that there's probably even more urgency for action. Well, that's right. And I think it's a fundamentally um, un-Kiwi way to go to go about it. You know, I think for the most part, we say, well, give them a, sh- a fair go. G- give them a shot at it. Let them make their case and we'll see whether we like it or not. And I, I just don't think for the most part, your everyday Kiwis are going to go, Good. I'm glad we didn't get a chance to hear what they had to say. You know, I I, I think, um, it, it, like you say, it's only a small portion of people that go. I need defending. I need protecting from harmful views. Most everyone else goes. Well, if it's bullshit, I'm gonna I'm gonna see it as such. You know, and so uh, I, again, I think on on various levels, this has been a strategic um, step, and we may continue to see the story unfold as we see that ends in me without again. I'm gonna keep on banging my lines without a principal dedication to free speech. They're actually going to find themselves in increasingly hot water. Well, we need to keep bringing it to people's attention, if nothing else. Uh, because people need to know the companies, um, even you know the politicians, the individuals that are standing against free speech and are acting in undemocratic ways. That's right. And, you know, I just want to take this chance to thank all of our supporters who did uh, write to NZME, who were part of that letter that was sent to the board, who some even went out and, and bought shares specifically to be able to take part in that meeting. And while I'm sorry we weren't able to be more successful in prompting that conversation on Monday, this isn't an issue we're going to let lie. And more generally, with our commitment to working with or with, with publishers to make sure they're impartial or calling them to higher standards if they're not, we will continue to make sure that uh, as far as it, it concerns us, New Zealand is able to have that conversation to address those questions that are really pressing. That's right. Uh, you know, the, I know that the steering group of the Free Speech Union well enough now to know that there's not many of us who throw the towel in too easy. We're a pretty tenacious bunch. Um, so, yeah, no, there will be a chapter two to this one as well, definitely. 
Thanks for listening to the Free Speech Union podcast. If you would like to learn more about us or find out how you can get involved or support, you can head on over to fsu.nz or check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Ka kite anō.